And as we are knocking on the door of another weekend, we know what that means, right? It's time for another edition of the Speaking For Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gamazin. Hello, Adam. It's great to be with you, and it's great to welcome Naomi Van Harn back into the studio. And you know what that means, Adam. It's time uh, to review our first book for the Speaking For Him book club for 2015-2016, and that would be the classic novel, Oliver Twist. So before uh, Naomi kind of sets up our discussion, uh, Adam, why don't you start us off with our quote of the day? Not aunt, cried Oliver, throwing his arms about her neck. I'll never call her aunt, sister, my own dear sister. That something taught my heart to love so dearly from the first. Rose, dear, darling Rose. That's from the book we'll be reviewing today, Oliver Twist. All right. Very well done, Adam. Huh? Thank you. <laughs> And rehearsed I, it for two days. I, I I really just really like this quote because it really um is towards the climax of the novel and just how Oliver, this orphan, begins to find family and find his place in the world. And it kind of interesting um that even though he finds out uh she's his aunt that he views her as a sister because it kind of shows the closeness that they developed. So I just thought that was a really neat quote as we begin our discussion. All right. Well, as we have gone through this book, Oliver Twist, Naomi in particular has gotten really interested in the historical context for Oliver Twist. So I asked her if she would start out our discussion today with a little bit of background on that. Okay. So uh, Dickens published Oliver Twist as a monthly serial from 1837 to 1839, and I know Andrew partway through was like, oh my goodness, I just don't, I'm not seeing the end, <laughs> And but I'm sure if you um, read it that way, it would be easier, because it'd be kind of like waiting for the next episode of a, um, a show, so mm-hmm. you would, and it was also a way that he could sell his uh, publications, so the book starts out with Oliver's birth taking place in a workhouse, um, I think the time period is Victorian. Uh, yeah, I, I believe I believe so. Yeah. So um, Dickens himself had spent time in a workhouse as a child due to poor management by his father um, of their funds. And it seemed like that happened more than once. Um, a very real account of the workhouse is given, partly because Dickens did live there. And I'll just give a really quick um, thing on the workhouses. So Dickens' description of the workhouses in Chapter 2 of Oliver Twist was reprinted by Times as part of its anti-poor law campaign. And the anti-poor law campaign kind of started around um, 1631, or that's when the workhouses kind of came on. Before that, in biblical times, we had tithe, alms for the poor. Um, Then they had almshouses, which it was where you would give to the church, the church would support the local um, poor or weak, you know, like elderly. Um, and then the plague came, um, the Black Death Plague came, which afterwards there weren't enough, there wasn't enough work for people. So nobody had money, nobody was giving money to the churches. So the government stepped in and took over and have created the workhouses. Um, and as we see, in the book, Dickens describes how horrible they are, and that is all true. It's actually very light. Um, and if you want to read more about the workhouses, I recommend reading the Midwife series, called the Midwife series, 
she talks a lot about people that actually lived in them as well. So uh, I was trying to keep it short, but well, there's it, just so it, much there. This really stuck out to me in particular because one, one, every, almost everybody knows the story of a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. and we we've done a dramatic reading of it here on the podcast. It's, I think, still to this day, one of the best series of episodes we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I just released it as Throwback Thursday on my uh, Facebook page over the holidays a few weeks ago, and so and it's right there in the archives if you want to go back and listen to it. I think it's good to listen to it any time of year. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things that Scrooge says is, are the workhouses still in operation? And, and then he talks about uh, the, tread, the treadmill and the poor law, which I don't know how those differentiate exactly. Mm-hmm. But just hearing about the workhouse and how Oliver was treated and then the stigma that followed Oliver after he got out of the workhouse, because then he goes to work for... Uh, Mr. Sourberry and one of the other guys that works for Mr. Sourberry keeps calling him workhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there's a stigma there while, while you were in the workhouse. And this thing that is supposed to help other people or is supposed to help you because you need help is actually um, hindering you. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't want to get turn this into a huge political discussion, but I can't help but think... Um, about this kind of in the context of uh, the way we do government programs here in the USA. And and the fact of the matter is that whatever power you give the government over you, they can take anything the government gives you, they can take away. So anything you give the government power to give you, they can then revoke from you at any time. And so I think as we uh, move forward in our country, and as we look toward a um, new presidency of one sort or another uh, in this year, that we need to be very careful that we don't replicate a lot of the things that are referred to in this book. And and I don't want to go much further than that, but I felt that that needed to be said. Yeah. It uh, is it is a lot of politics, though, in the well, book. Yeah, well, it is. That's why I'm saying mm-hmm. that there is there's a lot of politics, mm-hmm. um, and as as it unfolds. You find out that um, Oliver shouldn't have had, really shouldn't have had to be in the poorhouse as long as he was, and it was more of a power play to keep him there. Um, and then there was power plays from the people that, I mean, then he, he kind of gets removed from the workhouse, um, and then, you know, just different things. He gets different opportunities to be... Uh, have a better life and they get cut short again in a lot of ways by politics. Um, so as we go forward in this discussion, uh, just keep that context in mind. All right. So we, we've talked about some of the historical background. Um, but I remember, you know, you, you, you said, uh, to me on a couple of occasions that this book was, was better than you thought it would be. That it was different than you thought it would be. Um, can you kind of explain kind of what your presuppositions were like, as opposed to what uh, the the final result was for you? Yeah, growing up, I think a lot of it though is because of the I would see snippets of the movie. 
So I'm imagining, oh, it's this boy's life in England. He starts out poor, and it's a fairy tale ending. You know, predictable and kind of boring. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more that all does happen, but there's so much more in between the beginning of the you know him starting out and then the ending with it does have a happy ending which is nice but there is a lot more it's um the part with sykes and uh is it nancy yeah that if you have small children do not let them read that part (laughs) that was pretty graphic well oh boy for um that time period um well i I think think, that would have been really shocking yeah and i think that's another thing that some of the movies sanitize mm-hmm. um like you don't i mean and even in the play that i saw because if you recall uh, a while back maybe a year or so ago a little more than a year ago um we profiled oliver the musical for master arts and they have the part with sykes and they basically imply that that Sykes was killed by Nan- that Nancy was killed by Sykes, which is true, but it's much more brutally portrayed mm-hmm. uh, in the book. And then the consequences that Sykes lives with having to, you know, see her face every time he, he turns around or think that he's being followed. And when I read that part, I was thinking, you know, that reminds me of the proverb where it says, you know, about. The wicked flee when no man pursues, mm-hmm. but the righteous are bold as a lion. Every, every, um, you know, where he was turning around, he was fleeing because, because he was this wicked guy who had done an awful thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then eventually, um, don't want to give it all away, but his end is not a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and is very fitting for the direction that he chose to make his life go. And I think, I think that's an important thing about these classic works that we've been reading is is that you see real people, yeah, and, and real consequences, and not so much of the modern humanistic vibe that comes off um, a lot of the secular modern uh, works of fiction or movies, which basically said, which basically say, you know, I I may appear to be wicked, but I'm actually just misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you're wicked. The Bible says that we're all naturally wicked, and it's only by God's grace that we can become righteous because of his righteousness. And so that that is a totally different thing. And although Dickens, I don't think, ever um, in any of his books fully lays out the gospel, there are definitely aspects of the gospel Mm -hmm. in this book and also... Um, in A Tale of Two Cities, if you're interested in further reading. But, well, um, and one to follow up on that thought was, we have to understand at that time period, people knew the gospel, or, you know, at least the Bible. The story of the yeah. gospel, yeah. So when we read Narnia, we're like, oh, and that's this allegorical piece, and that's this. And I think that that's somewhat like, someone at that time reading this would really be picking up on the biblical... Um, references well and i think too i i've had this discussion with with multiple people that or or with one person in particular i don't know why i said multiple but i've heard multiple people people use this line of questioning too is like they don't like it when christian films get cheesy you know they, they say christian films shouldn't be too preachy we should just be christians that make good films but the problem is like you said we don't have the moral compass we used to have 
So you have to do a lot more spelling it out instead of saying, oh, this moral uh, overarching purview of this book or this movie comes from the Bible. And like you said, when when this book came out, it was the Bible was taught in primary school. You know, that was just one of the textbooks Mm -hmm. and it would behoove us to get back to that. And and I don't want to digress too much farther from the book discussion, but but it's related because the depth of characters and the depth of what we read in this book um, is something that it would be neat to see authors get back to. And I think one of the worst things to happen to authors um, is TV because t- because authors now have to write for people that watch TV every mm-hmm. every night and have something that still holds their attention even though they're used to watching things that wrap up in an hour. So it is a different era. It's a different time. And um, so that's just something to keep in mind as well. All right. Well, um, there. Are, the next part is kind of about the humor of this book. And I, and I will say this, that the humor is not, um, how do I want to put it? It's not necessarily, it's a dry, there's a lot of dry wit in different places. So Naomi, was there anything in particular that stuck out to you in this department? Dry wit, like naming someone Mr. Bumble and that he's round and he kind of bumbles along, <laughs> you know, like Dickens, we talked about it too, that Dickens used names to describe people. And uh, oftentimes he would base people in his books off of people he knew. So, you know, there was kind of that dry, ha ha, you just got referenced, you know. Yeah, and well, and the whole thing about him is he's just very awkward and mm-hmm. he he he's out to gain stuff for himself. You know, he gets married because he thinks he wants this this lady's money and then he has a nagging wife for the rest of his life. Yeah. You know? The ending. So that's, that's humorous. And it's it, <laughs> in a dry way. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a really, it's a really good book and I would really encourage um, people to read it. Um, I think that um, it, it's interesting how Fagin is. Fagin is a really interesting character mm-hmm. because there are some times when you almost want to like it. Yeah. Because he seems to, in his own warped way, be caring for others. And sometimes he has some interesting stuff to say that could almost be borderline funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then there's also the fact that the bottom line is, yes, I will care for others as long as it benefits me. And, and And so... uh, you definitely see also he does not really meet a good end, but it's kind of um, an appropriate end. And reminding me once again of the Proverbs that says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Sykes and Fagan in particular both, they try to better themselves, you know, financially. They try to work together, but then neither of them trust the other, which is one of those interesting things. You know, there's an old phrase that says there's no honor among thieves, and you definitely see that with them and how they they operate. And then 
just there's a lot of depth of character. And then the I think character wise, the biggest thing I noticed from the book that I had never noticed before was the whole Maylee storyline mm-hmm. and how Oliver was enlisted unbeknownst to him until it was too late to rob their house and he gets shot in the attempt. But then they have this sense that he's basically an innocent little boy pressed into service by these wicked men. And so they take him in and he's with them for a whole summer um, before he's reunited with um, with Mr. Brownlow, who helps him to realize his lineage, which is a big reveal toward the end of the book that, that he has this lineage that is that is actually far from being just this deserted orphan. But there's there's some really twisted parts to that as well in layers. So it's not a simple story, but definitely something worth del- delving into and definitely kind of a portrait of real life. So as we move on, um, if you're if you were to summarize, and I know we're talking about a 600-page book, so, but if you were to summarize and say there's a big lesson here, um, what what would it be? Or maybe if it's maybe if it's too broad to be one lesson, maybe two lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the underlying is no matter what comes, no matter what comes to Oliver, um, he truly wants to do right, and in the end, he reaps the benefits of despite everything, continuing to choose the right path. So. Um, I guess no matter what, just do the right thing because even though he would try to do the right thing, like he's trying to deliver the books at one time to help uh, Mr. Brownlow and he ends up getting kidnapped and brought back to the robbers and you're just going, what? He was trying to do something good and, um, but he just never gives up and he never uh, stops thinking of others too. Like he's, oh, I feel so bad now Mr. Brownlow is going to think ill of me. Um, and he so. does, and he does affect people. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Being a, a good person and doing the right thing will affect others, and we see that in uh, Nancy's character, who is is probably one of the most redemptive stories in the whole book. Mm-hmm. Um, she never fully gets to that point because she doesn't believe um, she's worthy to come out of her lifestyle, um, but. She is offered help by Mr. Brownlow, mm-hmm. and, and she basically says, I'm not worthy of it, but she helps Oliver, and it costs her her life. And as Naomi said, that's a very brutal um, depiction. I was actually really surprised how graphic it was. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're not talking graphic like today's R-rated movie graphic, right. but but for, for 1800s Dickens, I was just very surprised. I think he almost had to go there to show how truly wicked uh, Sykes was. Yeah, and I, and I do. I, I think that that sometimes depictions of wickedness help us to see the contrast between uh, good and evil. It's kind of like mm-hmm. what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about how today's bad guys mm-hmm. in literature and in film, they're often just misunderstood. And if only we could understand them, they would come uh, to the right side, you know. Uh, 
uh, to use a Star Wars reference, they would leave the dark side <laughs> and, and come to the light. And it, you, you even see a little bit of that in, in Star Wars because when when Darth Vader um, is killed in the original trilogy, uh, he kind of repents and tells his son right before he dies that he's sorry for what he did to him, which all in all is good. But again, it comes back to kind of this humanist idea of, oh, I wasn't as bad as you thought I was, I just got caught up in the wrong thing. And that's not the message of the gospel. And so I think that one thing these classics do is they are much better at showing a clear contrast between good and evil than a lot of the newer stuff. Um, all right. Do you have a favorite story in this book or a favorite section? Yep, and I'm going to try to quick look it up. Um, it's actually toward the very, very end. So I'm sorry, I should have had this ready. That's okay. We've um, got time. So one of the characters that in the beginning, I think he's Charles Bates. Isn't he part of the the group that robs? and? Yes, yes. Um, so at the end it says, Master Charles Bates, appalled by Sykes' crime, fell into a train of reflection whether an honest life was not, after all, the best. Arriving at the conclusion that it certainly was, he turned his back upon the scenes of the past, resolved to amend it in some new sphere of action. He struggled hard and suffered much for some time, but having a contented disposition and a good purpose succeeded in the end. And from being a farmer's drudge and a carrier's lad, he is now the merriest young grazer in all of Northamptonshire. And I had to look up grazer, and it's uh, like a farmer, um, someone who like raises cattle. So I just thought that was a really great story because that kind of um, is Dickens saying you don't have to end like Sykes. You can make the choice, and it's going to be hard, but if you keep on that straight and narrow, you will reap the blessings. And I mean, whether here... And and I think there's application for our modern life, too, because I I saw a meme going across Facebook um, I've seen it a couple times, um, but it basically said, in essence, if you want money, get a job, and in two weeks, you'll come into money, <laughs> because, <laughs> because yeah. most jobs pay you every two weeks, and that was the idea. Yeah. And I know it's not quite as easy as that. I mean, I could go on and on about my employment struggles, and I might actually do a podcast about that sometime. It's not easy, but... You know, I, I am bringing in, even though I'm not bringing in the income that I would like to, I'm bringing in more income uh, than I, you know, used to. Um, and it's because I haven't given up and, you know, I don't just throw my hands in the air and say the world owes me a living. I look for ways to make money. I look for ways to get on a, a good track, you know, and I, I'm committed to excellence in all the projects that I do. And including this podcast. So I, I definitely think the message is for us too, that we don't have to, um, go, go along the path of least resistance. You know, it would be very easy for me to spend my life feeling like a victim, um, because of my disability, because of not being able, uh, to get out of this wheelchair and, just sit, see how bad life was. And when I was a teenager, especially in my early teens, that was me a lot of times. But you have a choice um, 
when you wake up in the morning um, to decide to be a victim or a victor. And that will often determine your day. And the best way to make sure that you become a victor is by um, trusting Jesus Christ uh, as your Savior. Because in Romans it says, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. And so he will help you conquer anything that he gives you. Um, as far as my favorite story, I think um, I just really liked the story related in the quote that we shared at the beginning of the story, just his re- uh, his realization that not only was Rose Maley this really nice person who took him in for three months, nursed him back to health, and and took care of him, but she was also uh, his aunt. And so she was indeed a, a relative. And so that was that was a really neat thing. And then also the resolution of the Harry and Rose storyline, because mm-hmm. Harry wanted to marry Rose, and she didn't want to marry him because she thought that marrying him would hold him back. And he's like, shouldn't I be the one? I mean, he didn't say it in these words, but basically he was like, shouldn't I be the one to decide that? And she mm-hmm. was just kind of resistant. But then when she realized finally toward the end that the thing he cared about most was her, then she was able to realize happiness with him. And so I just really liked that as well. All right. Um, this, this could be an easy answer, but we're going to stay away from the main character on these next couple of questions because that might be a little too easy. Um, so other than the main character who we know is Oliver Twist, was there a character that you related to as you read? Mm, nobody stood out, but I love, um, just really quick. I'll say, I love how Dickens does a really great job of giving each character a voice. And maybe that was part of it. I was just, like, too absorbed with... These were, like... They kind of became real. So... Yeah, they definitely do. One thing that I mentioned to Naomi as we were going through this, and it it may very well have to do with the original serial concept and intent, but it seemed like often he would be writing about a character, writing about a character, writing about a character, and then all of a sudden it would drop. Mm -hmm. And, And... and four chapters later, not only would he go back to the character, but sometimes the character was literally sitting in the same place that he was four chapters before when he was last mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, particularly when Mr. Bumble is in the early stages of courting uh, his wife, who I can never remember her name. Yeah. But uh, he's sitting in her in her parlor, and she has to leave on an errand, and then the chapter. Then the chapter ends, and five chap- five chapters later, the narrator's like, oh, well, we need to go back to Mr. Bumble mm-hmm. and see what became of him, which in a way is kind of humorous in itself, because mm-hmm. kind of like you're just looking in a window and saying, is he still there? What's he doing? And so I, I, I found it very interesting the way he did that. And again, it probably is is partially due to the the serialized nature of the original uh, novel. Um, and I do have to say, too, at this point, that I I had said before that um, I was going to manually read all of these books for the book club because 
I'm trying to manually read more books. But I actually did listen to this book on audio for probably the second half because I had gone, I had been reading it for six weeks and hadn't gotten done. And I started listening um, to it. There's actually a free site called LibriVox where they record um, books in the public domain. And you can actually sign up to be a volunteer reader and get assigned to projects. But anyway, so I read the last half via audio. The cool thing was each chapter was divided into a separate file so I could decide how many chapters I wanted to listen to on a given day. And so if you do want to listen to classic books, um, then you might want to check out LibriVox, and I will try to have a link in the blog for that so that you can avail yourself if you want to tackle Oliver Twist in this way. And the interesting thing about it is they have different readers. Like you might have the same reader for five or six chapters and then somebody else will pick up the narrative or whatever. And so it is, it is kind of an interesting way to read. Um, some readers are better than others, just FYI, but, but, um, but it is free. And so you can't look a gift horse in the mouth or something <laughs> like that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I like, uh, Livervox. Yes. Um, so I, as I was looking at the characters, I, I think I related a lot, um, to, uh, uh, whew, uh, I had something in mind. Um, I, I don't know if there was anybody specifically that I related to and said, looked at and said, that's me, but I think I, I, um, I related somewhat to Harry, um, who was going to marry Rose because, uh, you know, I have had situations where, um, people have said, uh, that, that they had too much, uh, going on, uh, to, to have, a relationship with me, it wouldn't be fair to me to, to, to keep me in a relationship with them. Or, and I've also had it said, well, uh, we're, we're too good of friends to be in a relationship or whatever, whatever you want to throw out there. And it's kind of like, well, don't you think I should have, um, kind of a say in that I've been that person where I felt like, well, you may think this is an obstacle, but don't you think I should, have something to say about whether whether it really is as big of an obstacle as you say. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, this is the next question is, did you find a character to root for? And again, and we're looking at other characters besides Oliver Twist because that one's the easy one. Yeah, I would say Nancy. So it's kind of sad how her ending ended. But at the same time, I understood why he had to to do that. So... <laughs> But yeah, she was the one. I actually like Nancy, but I also like Mr. Sourberry. Now on the surface, it it doesn't, when when you're first trying to read about it, you kind of think, well, this is probably part of, um, part of his, his really bad, uh, history that is just starting to be related. But Mr. Sourberry actually got to a point where he at least kind of liked Alice. I don't know if you could ever say that he showed love to Oliver, but he liked Oliver. 
and it was just his wife that got annoyed. Yeah. And his daughter, I think it was, was it, what is it, was it his daughter or a female servant? I think then, it was the know, servant that and liked. I, and then I know Noah was the servant. Yeah. So they didn't like him and they caused problems for him, which caused him to have to leave that situation. But I actually um, did kind of like Mr. Sourberry and I remember not liking him in the play. So I thought the book uh, laid him out a little bit more and I yeah, actually was, really did kind of like him. I was kind of sorry you Dickens didn't go back to him because I was kind of like, well, what about Sourberry? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Th- that's another thing. You know, he does a pretty good job about tying characters, storylines up, but mm-hmm. every once in a while there's one that you're like, I wish there might be a little bit more. But I think it keeps it, like you said, more real life like. Yeah, we don't the- we don't keep we don't keep track of everybody, um, and you know, life life always moves on. So, all right, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in the beginning but um was there anything that was particularly surprising as you opened this book and read it and then you got done and you're like well i didn't expect that mm-hmm. um i think it's mr brown though you can correct me if i'm wrong um i like how he so oliver's stepbrother right mm-hmm. um he's trying to but look how he was born look where he came from he was in a poor house yeah, you know, he's he's dirt, and uh, Mr. Brownlow is like, no, that doesn't matter. He he is who he is, and I just liked that part because that was something at the time. Uh, status was really important. Where you came from was important, and um, even today we might find ourselves looking down at somebody because maybe they're from somewhere without. You know, there's always the trailer trap. You know, like there's stuff still today. That we have to be careful not to be uh, looking at someone and judging them based off of maybe where they came from. or mm-hmm. So I just, I liked that. I was really impressed with Dickens for, in a way, you could say being very modern about that mindset. Well, the thing that surprised me the most is you come to find out toward the end of the novel that Mr. Bumble had a pretty good idea who Oliver was mm-hmm. very early on in the story. Uh, he wasn't just this urchin with, with no... Uh, with no relatives and he actually is in cahoots with the stepbrother mm-hmm. to keep Oliver's true identity a secret. And so that just adds a layer to the misery of his life. And then also just in some ways you kind of don't feel, at least I didn't feel at least until the very last chapter where it finds out that where you find out that he goes to the poorhouse as one of the poor, mm-hmm. you kind of don't feel well. He doesn't get his comeuppance. But until I read until I read the book, I thought, well, marrying the wife he did yeah. was enough comeuppance all on its own. And Adam, if you, I know you're smiling over there, but if you read the book eventually, you will find out exactly yes. what I mean. Yes. Because they are a hilarious couple. What is that um, better in a small house with very little than uh, in a big house with lots and an unhappy? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> that proverb about... <laughs> yeah. Or a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a yes. contentious woman. They are alike. Yes. That's in truth. fact, there's a part where it's raining with them. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's that's yeah. Bible truth right there. Yeah. 
Dickens style. But anyway, um, but and so that's just. I I almost think it would be neat if they if they did a a play that was kind of just focused on that particular mm-hmm. storyline because you could you could do a play on some of these story arcs mm-hmm. that don't even get mentioned when they usually do Oliver Twist plays. So it's just interesting to think about how big the scope is. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's the longest book we've done so far. Either that or Jane Eyre is, might be just a little bit longer, but of the three classics we've done this might be the longest yeah this one has more characters more layers like you said it's definitely Mm -hmm. definitely more multifaceted than Mm -hmm. anything we've done all right and why should you read this book i'm gonna start with this one i think you should read this book because if for no other reason than to get an idea of the historical context of things that went on in england as I talked about before in the beginning, when we were talking about the workhouse and stuff, you get a whole new appreciation for what may be considered throwaway lines, like in A Christmas Carol when he's talking about the workhouses. Mm-hmm. And you see, this isn't really a place to help people. This is a place to minimally, you know, they, they fed the kids gruel, not because they couldn't afford to give them more, because often the board of the workhouse w- was eating these sumptuous meals and they made the kids watch them eat mm-hmm. and and i'm and i'm as far as i know he grounded that fictional telling in reality and he had experience with that kind of thing and it's just this idea of projecting to the outside world we're helping people and but inside they weren't and i kind of felt like they were kind of like the biblical pharisees because jesus said to them you know you know he says, you tie the anise and the cumin, but you don't even take care of your own families. Mm-hmm. You give um, your money to the house of God, and then you say it's a gift. So that means I don't have to take care of my parents. I mean, that it's sad, but that's the way a lot of people are. Uh, at least we're in the Bible, and we're in this Dickens novel. And I, and I, you know, I would just challenge us. To not become like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's my biggest thing is I would just challenge us to not become that person. So reading this book would just be a good um, eye opener. And, and for for your older kids, if you read it aloud to them, for your teenage children, um, it could be, you know, you might be feel like it's a daunting task to read a book like this aloud. Maybe you could read it aloud together, you know, take turns reading sections. And it's it's exciting enough to almost be a television program. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they wrote it before TV, so it was the main form of entertainment. So they didn't waste any opportunity to give you action or detail. And so if you like detail-oriented stuff, you'll like this book. So, Naomi, did you have anything to add on why people should read Oliver Twist? Nope, I think you summed it up perfectly. And as I was telling my sister, I said, buy it, put it on your shelf. And when your children are older, like you said, go through it when you go through it when he's in high school or whatever, um, because there's a lot of character values and, um, you know, there's just a lot of lessons that could be a great discussion. You know, it'd be a great thing to start. Hey, let's talk about this. What do you think about this? And um, 
you know, uh, so political things. And also you get to learn uh, language that you no longer hear. I had to look up some words to see how to say them. So, um, and I was reading or I heard somewhere someone say, like, you should read the classics so that you get jokes. And I was like, what? But if you watch older movies, there's so many references to the classics. And I don't think we do that so much anymore. But, um, you know, like the word quizzling. Where did that come from? What does it mean? You know, so stuff like that. Would you like to enlighten us? Yeah, I think he was a Norwegian that turned and helped the Germans during World War II. And so after that, I think it was Norwegian or Sweden. Um, but after that, if you were somebody that ratted on someone else, and I'm using the modern term of ratted, or, you know, if you were a turncoat, um, you were called a quizzling. And we could do another 15 minutes of word association. Yeah, sorry. But we won't, <laughs> but we won't put you through that. Yeah. But speaking of World War II, we will be uh, uh, – talking about world war ii a little bit later in the year mm -hmm. um when we do our uh things we couldn't say uh podcast and and book club um we do have our speaking for him book club page up which is something that we said on our last podcast we were thinking about doing it is up so if you do want to read the paladins with us by tim stoner which you can get off amazon or I think on any number of online uh, book sites, I think it might even be available at your local library, although I'm not 100% sure on that. It depends on uh, what your library has purchased, obviously. But that's our next one. In a few weeks, uh, a few months ago, actually, we actually interviewed Tim in the studio. And so if you want to go back and, and get some insight on the book before you start to read it, you can go back and listen to that interview. But we will be back um, in approximately uh, two to three months, give or take a few weeks, and review that with you. And if any of you want to read along and come into the studio and contribute to our discussion, you are more than welcome. Uh, just let us know, and we will try to, through uh, my Periscope weekly updates, which are appearing on my page, and other uh, comments and statuses that I try to post, we will try to let you know two or three weeks ahead of time when we are going to record that next podcast. So keep those things in mind. Make sure you contact us with the contact information that we're all at the end of the show. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and uh, happy reading. Um, thank you, Naomi, for coming in. Mm -hmm. And to all of you out there, have a great weekend and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.